The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the word this morning. Uh, uh, every time we come together, I'm trusting and believing God for something great. I can tell you as a pastor, you know, if you, 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 per, you put something together, you believe that you have received the word from God for the day and you're excited and, and, and you're, you come together and then you might see that a, a number of people are out or something like that and you think, oh man, they're going to miss it. Well, I've learned to not have that perspective because I've seen some of the most incredible meetings take place with just the smallest group of people. You'll find that in like Acts chapter 2. You'll see uh, when, when you have this wonderful, well, we call it the day of Pentecost. I mean, Pentecost was a feast, so they had lots of days of Pentecost. But you'll see it in Acts chapter 2. And it's, it's funny to me because there's this small group of people gathered together. And there's a line in the scripture that says, and they were all there. Did you see that? I mean, it's just a small group and it says they were all there. That's my new mentality with any meeting. When you're coming together and getting to the word, they were all here. That tells me every single person that's here is here for a purpose and a reason, especially myself. And so I get excited to see that we're all here every time we come together. And I believe that this morning's word's really going to be a blessing. I know it will be to me, and I'm trusting and believing that it will be for you. There's a few things that we're going to find as we get into the word this morning. Now, these are things that I like to offer to you. If you want to write them down, you can. If you take notes, I strongly encourage note-taking. But you can just write these things down so that you can look for them in the message. I mean, it's, it's just a handful of things that are fun to find in the Word. And some of them might mean something to you specifically. So, so there's one thing we're going to find. We'll find this all, uh, out right away. What every day has. What every single day has. You know, now if you kind of grew up in the church circle that I grew up in, you're probably thinking, well, it's the mercies of God. Because we always sang songs about the mercies of God being made new to every morning. And that's true, but that's not where we're going with that. We're going to find what every day has. Another thing that we're going to find is why it's bad to worry. Why it's bad to worry. Now, some of you, that may not be that big of a deal because you don't worry very much and it's just kind of not in your nature to worry. And others might be very challenged by that because it's in your nature to worry and, and you, you, know, you don't know that that's a bad thing. And we're going to see in the scripture that worry can lead to some negative things. A third thing that we're going to find is why you don't have to worry. Now, I mean, I worded it that way on purpose. Why you don't have to? I mean, it's a choice. You can if you want to. But you don't have to. Why you don't have to worry? So we're going to jump right into the word. I told you we're going to find out what every day has. I want to do that right off the bat. What every day has. If you want to write it down for your notes, you can. If you want to turn there in the scripture, we're going to spend some time here. So you might want to go there if you have your Bible with you or if you want to open it up on your, your app or whatever you use. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I want to just read verse 34. Matthew chapter 6 verse 34. Now remember, we're going to identify what every day has, what every day has. Now, Jesus is speaking here. So Jesus is delivering this word and people are listening to him speak. And he's, he's delivered uh, some incredibly profound and powerful truths. And as he begins to, to close those points, he makes this as, as a closing statement. And as he's speaking in Matthew chapter 6, when we get to our verse 34, this is what Jesus says. He says, so do not worry about tomorrow. 
I mean, it's a, a really great statement, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. Now, for some of us, we could take that and we could think that it's kind of an encouragement, you know, like, hey, don't worry about it, you know, hang in there. But he's really giving it as more of a command or an instruction, like a, like a pass-fail situation. If we find ourselves worrying about tomorrow, then we're missing his instruction or his counsel here, and we need to dial in. He says, do not worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will care for itself. And then he goes on to reveal what every day has. He says, each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, I've been to lots of Christian bookstores, and I've never seen that on a t-shirt, right? Like the words of Jesus, each day has enough trouble of its own, you know. You just don't see it on bumper stickers. It doesn't seem really encouraging, but yet I'm massively encouraged by that passage of Scripture. Massively encouraged because, you know, you become a Christian and you can walk in circles where you're, you feel like you're on the outside looking in, wondering, you know, why does it seem like I deal with all of these things all the time and I don't see it over there, I don't see it over there. Am I doing something wrong? I mean, are Christians supposed to experience trouble or are Christians not supposed to experience trouble? If they're not supposed to experience trouble, then I'm concerned about my Christianity because I've got trouble every day. Well, it's encouraging to me to read this passage of Scripture and see that Jesus is saying, listen, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to have its own thing because every single day is going to have its own trouble. So now I feel normal, right? Which is a good thing. That's actually kind of step one to, to growing and advancing and maturing. We come to that one state of, of normality where we understand that, okay, dealing with these things doesn't make me a freak or a weirdo or it doesn't put me on the outside looking in. So if we all come together, we realize every day has got trouble of its own. Now the question is, what do we do about that? I mean, Jesus just said tomorrow's going to have trouble. Don't worry about it. So my problem is, if I know tomorrow has trouble, I tend to worry about it. I tend to think about it, to dwell on it. This instruction that's coming here is meant to be liberating. It's not a command that's meant to put us in a position of bondage. Rather, it's meant to set us free. And you've got to understand, too, this is his closing statement as he's speaking. So if I wanted to better understand his closing statement, I would go back and I, I would read the, the rest of the context. And I think we ought to do that together. Now, it's going to be a little bit of reading, but uh, if you want to look, it starts here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. You go back up to verse 25, and Jesus begins to speak, and he's saying, For this reason I say to you, don't be worried about your life as to what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or, or the things of your body and what you're going to wear. Is life not more than food or drink? And the body more for than just being clothed? He says, look around you at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they are? I want to stop right there for a second. When he makes that comment, it just flips a switch in my head. I realize that all of that anxiety about what's going to happen or all of that trouble that might plague my thoughts is really an issue of worth. I mean, he looks at the, the birds, he compares to the birds and says, God takes care of these and you're so much more important or you're worth so much more than birds to your heavenly father. Birds aren't made in his image. Birds aren't eternal. Here you stand, made in the image of God after his likeness, with an eternal destiny. You're worth so much more 
than birds. He goes on as he's talking about dealing with worry, and he says, And who among you, being worried, could add a single hour to their life? That's a pretty good question. I mean, I've spent more than my fair share of time being worried about stuff, and you know what it helped? Nothing. Not a thing. And he's teaching us this for a reason, for a purpose. Jesus has no insecurity whatsoever. So he's not sitting in front of a crowd of people that are anxious and filled with worry and exalting himself as like, don't you wish you were like me, never worried about anything? Watch as I walk on water. But rather, he's trying to teach and share the reasons why people shouldn't be worried. You need to come to the awareness or understanding that when Jesus is speaking to his disciples or when he's speaking to the crowd, he's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. He says, which one of you by worrying is going to add a single hour to your life? And why are you worried about these things? He then goes on to give another example. Observe the lilies of the field. They don't toil. They don't spin. But yet even King Solomon in all of his glory was never clothed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass of the field so beautifully, which is here today and tomorrow is cut down and thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? He goes on to say, you of little faith, do not worry. Don't say, what are we going to do or, or where is it going to come from as it concerns eating, drinking, clothing, and those things. He says, the world seeks things like that. But your heavenly Father knows your needs. And then it goes on to say this in verse 33, and I have to believe that this is the point that Jesus is getting to. He says, but seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. Basically, he's saying, put God first, and everything else will fall right into place. And then he closes with what we opened with. So do not worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, seeking God's kingdom first is really an amazing and powerful statement made there that has a wonderful promise attached to it. Seek God's kingdom first and everything will fall into place. I mean, it's almost as if it's, it's something that if this is understood, if this is received, if this is accepted into our hearts and minds and it has an effect, it's going to change everything. That's the game changer right there. So my brain has to stop as I'm reading that and think, what does that mean? What does it mean to seek his kingdom first? Am I seeking his kingdom first right now? I mean, I can say I'm seeking his kingdom first, and I, I can, can proclaim that, and I can sing the songs, and I can make the statements, but is that my life? Now, this isn't necessarily the message. The message is, is going in another direction here, but it's an important place to stop. When I think about seeking God's kingdom first, I have to ask, what is God's kingdom? Uh, I mean, pastors are notorious for cracking the same jokes over and over, whether they're funny or not, and I'm no different. Nobody ever laughs when I talk about the maps in the back of your Bible, but I was always intrigued about those things when I was a kid, and I would literally look for the kingdom of God back there. It's not a place on a map. So how are you going to seek the kingdom of God if it's not a place? What in the world do we do to seek his kingdom and to seek it first? And I have to just think about what a kingdom is, you know. 
Obviously, if the kingdom is not a place, if it's not a location, if I can't give you coordinates to get there, hey, plug this into your GPS, make sure you got a full tank because there's no stops, and, and if you go and you drive head east for a few hours, you'll get there. It's not a place like that. But the, the kingdom of God is something that I, I think we ought to consider so that we can seek it first. I mean, when I think about a kingdom and what's necessary for a kingdom to exist, one, it needs a king. Now, you could say that a kingdom is no more than the domain of a king, an area where a king has authority. If I'm seeking God's kingdom in my life, I have to ask, in this area of my life, is Jesus king? Most of the time when I'm dealing with things that put me in a position of worry or fear or doubt, it is some outside influencing dictating what's going on in that area of my life. Some outside influence is telling me that my health is poor. Some outside influence is telling me that my finances are weak. Some outside influence is telling me that my relationships are failing. Some outside, influ some outside influence is wanting to tell me, so it's wanting to have dominion in that area. But if the kingdom of God can be sought, if I can put Jesus as king in that area of my life and let that be his domain, then it's his words that are going to prevail. And his words are mostly different than the words of this world. His words are true. His words are spirit. His words are life. His words are not leading down a, a, a slippery slope of doubt and fear and anxiety and worry. But his words are words that you can stand upon just as firm as a foundation is beneath your feet right here in this room. His words are firm to stand upon. And unlike this foundation, his words will never be shaken. They'll never pass away. Now, the same passage of scripture is written in a, in a different context. Another gospel, but it's recording the same account, a gospel of Luke in chapter 12. I want to look at verses 31 and 32. If you want to jot them down for your notes and look at them later, you're welcome to. But in Luke chapter 12, Jesus on another account is saying, but seek first his kingdom and everything else will be added to you. And then he goes on to say this, and don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. I mean, God's chosen to do this. It's by his design. That needs to be an encouragement to us that this is intentional. That Jesus isn't saying, hey, I know we ran into a problem here. You know, we didn't see this coming. Uh, all of a sudden, your world's turned upside down. It kind of caught us by surprise too, but we think this will work. It's in beta testing right now, but try this out and, and get back to us and, and we'll We'll see if we don't have a solution here. But he's saying this when he says there, listen, it's God's good pleasure. It, it makes him happy. It fills him with joy. Your father has chosen to gladly give you the kingdom. This is on purpose. This is your heavenly father's design. That you would have a king placed over your life in every situation, in every circumstance, to follow his righteous and just leadership, counsel, instruction, generosity, everything that Jesus brings in your life is meant to set you free from worry. So I want to talk about worry for a minute. I mean, Jesus saw fit to talk about it, and you got to understand, Jesus never like woke up and, well, there's a crowd out there, I better whip up a message this morning. Really wasn't prepared, but... People want to hear something, so let's talk about worry, shall we? 
I mean, this is intentional. He realizes this is at the foundation of this group of people's issues and challenges and problems. And if we can minister to this issue of worry, we can minister to the person. We can minister to the crowd. We can minister to the city. We can minister to the nation. So let's deal with this. I want to talk about worry. I mean, what does worry do? What, what does it do? I mean, what, what does worry consist of? What does it do? What does it accomplish? Well, I think the first thing you have to do is look at what it does not do. And we already mentioned this in Matthew, but it's written of again in Luke. Luke chapter 12, verse 25. It says, which of you by worrying will add a single hour to his lifespan? What worrying doesn't do is extend your life. I mean, nobody has ever talked about the longevity that stress brings into a person's life. You know, we, we set up gyms and all kinds of places of fitness to go and, and get in shape so that we can live healthier and live longer, but you don't see anyone set up the stress shop. For just $99 a month, you can come, we'll stress you out, we'll talk about all of your issues, and we'll, we'll make sure that we can really freak you out. And get, it'll make your life great. Sign up today. We don't have that. So all of that stress and all of that strain, all of that worry and all that anxiety is not prolonging our life. It's not adding to life at all. Not even in the measurement of time, but in, in enjoyment, in the, the things that life is meant to consist of and all of its abundance as God would bring it into our lives through Jesus. So worry doesn't do anything good for your life. I, mean, I want to see what it does do. Here's what worry does do. If you want to see what worry does accomplish in your life, you'll see it in the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. It says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. I mean, I want you to think for a second. Normally, I would waste an entire question by asking, has anyone here ever worried? Well, we're not going to do that because I have a feeling everybody here has dealt with some situation in which they were worried or anxious. But I want you to think for a moment, when you were worried, when you were anxious, what did that feel like? I mean, do you feel like the, the word of God kind of hit the bullseye here, that it felt weighed down? I remember a time of, of tremendous uh, pressure in my life. It was pressure like I'd never experienced before. Uh, some of it was relational, a lot of it was relational, and then a, a massive part of it was financial. And all of these things had come uh, down at one time, and I would find myself just pondering these things and worrying about these things and they were, they were taking all of my, my time and my thought and my energy and then they began to even touch my body which I believe would have affected my health. I remember I was traveling with my wife and my children and I stopped and I asked my wife, hey, feel this right here. Do you feel a knot right here? I just felt something that had developed there that, was, that, that wasn't there before. And it was all of this, this worry and all of this stress that was beginning to have an impact on how I thought, on how I spent my time, and even my well-being physically. I mean, we ought to see that worrying, we ought to see that stress, we ought to see that anxiety is a massively destructive force. And it's a massively destructive force that, is a, that there is an attempt to bring into your life by your enemy. On purpose. A massively destructive force that your enemy is intentionally bringing into your life because it has a devastating effect. I want to see what the effect of worrying or stress is and we turn to the scripture again. 
Now, this would be a really great place for you to, to maybe write something down and say, I want to read this later. I want to read this whole thing later in my own time. But out of Matthew chapter 13, uh, we were going to find out why worrying is bad. That was one of the three things that we kicked off with. We'll, we'll see it here. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is talking about uh, the kingdom of God. He's talking about the word of God. And he speaks about the word of God as if it's seed that's being sown in a field. And he talks about different people groups. There's, there's some where the seed's sown by the side of the road, and there's some in rocky places, and there's some among thorny ground or weeds, and then there's some soil that's good, and it receives and it produces. I mean, that passage of Scripture is, is, is amazing, and I want you to visit that, but I want to see the one area where worry is discussed. And it's in verse 22. When Jesus is explaining this, he talks about how devastating and dangerous worrying is when he reveals what worrying does. He says, the one on whom the, the seed was sown among the thorns, the weeds, this is the man who hears the word of God and then the worries of the world choke it out and it becomes unfruitful. Now, in my world, alarms are going off right now. Bells are going off. Buzzers are going off. I'm seeing something. No wonder Satan, no wonder my enemy, no matter any enemy of God, is trying to bring worry into my life because worry will make me unfruitful. Worry will choke out the word of God in my life if I let it. If I allow worry to prevail in my heart or in my mind, it will take up every square inch of usable space, that usable space where the Word of God could thrive and be fruitful. It will shove it out of the way, and all of a sudden I'll be left with what is completely and totally worthless. That's what unfruitful means. It doesn't produce anything that's helpful or nourishing or that can be reproduced for the purposes of helping or nourishing. Worrying is horribly awful. It's bad. And there's a scheme to bring worry into your life. And the reason why I think it's important to talk about this is not just to become uh, smarter or increase our intelligence or our Bible IQ, but to come to a place where we realize, you know what, that is a scheme and I'm not going to let that prevail in my life. I'm going to see to it that I don't let worry enter in. I'm going to see to it that I'm not led by anxiety because these things will lead to unfruitfulness. Now, there's some things that we can do to, to, to counteract this attack on our lives. When we have the word of God unfruitful in our lives, it's going to limit great things. I want to give you a passage of scripture because I think sometimes we get some things backwards. I mean, you know, the old, it's not really a joke. But like, which came first, the chicken or the egg, you know, and you can kind of scratch your head. Well, I mean, the chicken came first. God made the chicken and the chicken laid an egg. So we, we got that covered. But I don't want to get something backwards that we should really get here. And it, you want to find an interesting thing to see as it concerns anxiety, you know, worrying and dealing with things. You can find a, a passage of scripture in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 35. I want to look at verses 2 through 6. It's another great one for your notes to just say, you know what, at some point this week when I sit down, I want to look at Isaiah, I want to look at chapter 35, and I want to read these passages, beginning in verse 2. Now verse 2 opens up with, they will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of God. And then it goes on to give instruction, right, on, on how these people are going to see the glory of the Lord in their lives. It says, encourage the exhausted and strengthen the weak. 
Say to those who are anxious or who are worrying in their hearts, take courage and fear not. Behold, your God will come and vindicate. God will come and he will pay back. God will come and save you. And then verse 5 says, then. Did you see the word then there? Then, meaning like that comes first, this comes after. Minister to those who are worrying in their hearts that God will deliver them. And then, then the eyes of the blind will be open. Then the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like the deer. Then the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Then waters will break out in dry places and streams in the desert. Then. Now, this is an exciting passage of scripture to me because this is, is revival being revealed here. This is, this is everything you read about in the gospels. And when Jesus says, greater works will you do, this is it. This is wonderful, amazing, powerful. Things. This is the power of God having an impact on the lives of men here on the earth, right here and now. It's everything that we are, are anointed and called to minister and bring into existence. But for me and for the majority of my life, I think I've had it backwards. I mean, it's saying, stop worrying. Minister to worry, then all of these disabilities will, will be gone away. All these disabilities will be uh, ministered to. All of these disabilities will be responded to. All of these disabilities will disappear. Minister to worry, and all of these disabilities will be a thing of the past. Now, in my life, I've been taking God my disabilities and saying, God, minister to my disability, and then I won't have to worry. Did you catch that? Have you ever done that? God, fix this problem so that I won't have to worry anymore. It tells me something. It tells me that, that God is after something here. Is he capable of ministering to that disability? Absolutely he is. Is he willing to minister to that disability? Absolutely he is. Is he able to minister to that? Absolutely he is. He's able, he's willing to minister to that disability. Why in the world would there be a specific order here? And I believe it's because God is doing a work in our hearts. I've constantly taken him my problems. You know, Father, fix this problem, then I won't have to worry. When God's uh, method is, let's fix the worry, then you won't have the problem. Let's deal with the worry and then watch the problem disappear. Because the worry exists in your heart. And I'm at work in your heart. I'm committed to perfecting your heart. So instead of bringing me your disability, how about you bring me your heart? We deal with the worry and then watch everything else fall into place. So I consider, how does that work? You know, how do I bring God my heart? How do we deal with anxiety and worry? Because those are real things. We all deal with them. I mean, Jesus said every day, every is all-inclusive. You know, he didn't leave out Fridays. Well, Fridays are okay because you can dress casual, maybe take a short day, and then you got the weekend, you know. But every day, every day has got its own troubles. We deal with things every day. So how to deal with this worry? I'll give you a passage of scripture here out of Philippians. You can write it down. It'd be another one to, to visit. I'm telling you, if, if you don't mind a little homework, you ought to read these things on your own and in your own time. These are some really, really profoundly powerful passages, especially around this season. Have you noticed people's stressometers start to peg around the holidays, right? Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. 
It reads like this, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit, not your freaked out spirit, not your panicked spirit, but your calm spirit, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious, or don't worry, for, for, for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus. Now, I, I used to stop reading there. And let me tell you, after this morning, I'm committed to keep reading. Let me keep reading right now, and then I'll explain why. Moving to verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good reputation, if there's any excellence and if anything is worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things that you have learned and received by the example of Jesus. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The problem with, with ending reading where I used to end reading was how I would present those prayers and those supplications. Once again, it positioned me to present my problem. Well, rejoice in the Lord always. Be anxious for nothing and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Request, make your request known to God and the peace of God's past. Okay, God, your heart and mind. Okay, well, Father, I've got all these problems. Will you fix my problems in Jesus' name? Amen. For some reason, I, I, I still feel a little anxious. But if I keep reading there and I see what God is speaking, what he's saying, he's saying, finally, when you do these things, whatever is honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good reputation, whatever's excellent, whatever's worthy of praise, focus on these things. Now I understand how to pray. When I'm faced with anxiety, when all my mind can think about is the trouble ahead, when all my mind can think about is the problem that I'm dealing with, when all my mind can do is spin that same old thing over and over and over again until it's consumed me, now I know how to pray. When I am anxious for nothing but with prayer and thanksgiving and supplication, make those things known to God, I'm going to go to God and I'm going to ask Him this, Father, will you open my eyes to see whatever is lovely? Open my eyes to see whatever is of good reputation. Open my eyes to see what is right. Open my eyes to see what is excellent. Open my eyes to see all that is worthy of praise so that my eyes will be turned to the things that are fruitful and I won't be consumed by the things that are fruitless. Open my eyes to see the things that I should focus on instead of be distracted by the things that I shouldn't be. And when we focus on those things, you see the promise that Paul's writing about be extended again. When you focus on those things that you've learned and you practice these things, the God of peace will be with you. The Psalms speak of worry and anxiety. Psalm 94 verse 19. It says, when anxious thoughts multiply within me, I, when I read that, the, it's, it, I know what that feels like. 
almost like if you were maybe trying to describe to someone what it feels like to drink a carbonated drink, you know, and you're describing the fizz and how these things affect your senses and the way it feels in your stomach and all. I know what that feels like to have anxious things multiply within you. When worry is winning and it is consuming you, mind and body, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolation delights my soul. Basically meaning what God has to say about it changes things for me. What God has to say. The things that God reveals. The things that He speaks. If you're ever short on things that God says or feels about you, you can write this down. You can keep it in your car. You can print it on a t-shirt. You can tattoo it on your arm. You can do whatever you want to keep this in front of you. Isaiah chapter 41, 9 and 10. The last part of verse 9 going into 10, it reads like this. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Do not anxiously look around. Don't worry for I am the Lord your God, I will strengthen you, I will surely help you, and surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That'll make those multiplying anxieties that are rising up in you run for cover. That's the truth. I told you we're going to find out why you don't have to worry. We need to understand that worrying is always an option. I mean, whether you've been a believer for 50 years or whether you're an unbeliever, worrying is a choice. I'll give you a passage of Scripture here as we begin to close, and I want to offer it out of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. Out of verses 6 and 7. Beginning in verse 6, Peter writes and he says, Therefore, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand so that he might exalt you or promote you or reward you at the proper time in his timing. And then verse 7 addresses worry. It says, cast all of your anxiety or cast all of your worry on him because he cares for you. That may sound overly simplistic, but it's powerfully true. Sometimes we want to complicate things. We want to feel that we don't have to worry because we have achieved level 50 on Christianity. Or something weird like that, where you climb the ladder high enough and now that's a thing of the past. That's garbage. Every single child of God can cast all of their worry upon him simply because he cares for you. He cares for me. Worry is a choice. Everything that we face, everything that we do, everything that we encounter, we have a choice to make. Am I going to allow anxiety and worry to take up all of my space and leave me fruitless and unfruitful? Or will I focus on the things that are worthy of praise, the things that are lovely, the things that God has instructed me to focus on so that peace will prevail and I will remain fruitful no matter what. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning.
God is at work in our hearts. That passage out of Isaiah is so amazing to me that you would see minister to the worry and watch the problem disappear. And I think for a lot of us as believers, we want to minister to the problem so that the worry will go away. But if our hearts are prone to worry, or our minds are given to worry, and tomorrow has its own trouble, then we'll just be worrying again tomorrow. And God is doing a work to introduce stability into our lives, that today we're stable, tomorrow we're stable, day after that, stable, day after that, stable. You get where I'm going with that. Where we remain stable as the world changes, as situations change, as challenges arise, as problems blow up, we remain stable. Because our stability isn't dependent upon our problems being ministered to. Our stability has been ministered to as worry and anxiety is shoved out of our minds by the truth. The truth that God cares for us. That he will make a way that he has a plan that he hasn't forgotten that he hasn't rejected but you his chosen one he loves and will see to it that you are cared for that you are ministered to and that you thrive it may sound a little narcissistic but you're allowed to think this he loves me the most he loves you with a love that drives out fear and leaves no room for anxiety. So I want to pray and I want to ask for a work to be done in our minds. I mean, when I pray, I pray like this at home for myself and for my family and for you, even when we're not gathered together. But I want to pray and ask God to do something, to do a work in our hearts that we could believe that he does care for us, that we don't have to worry. No matter what other people say or what all's going on, in the outside world, we can stand firm today, tomorrow, the next day. And I want to ask that it does work in our minds. Because we can develop habits where, where those habits can hinder us because it's how we respond to things. And, and sometimes those habits need to be visited and adjusted. Some of them need to be completely demoed and then rebuilt from the ground up. And for me personally, I, I want to have one demoed and rebuilt. I don't want to take God my problems. I want to take in my heart. I don't want to say heal my handicap and I won't worry. I want to say, hey, we've got a worry issue here that needs to be dealt with and I'm trusting and believing that the handicap will go away. Let's work on the heart. But I want to believe God to do this work in us collectively. I really believe as we stand together as the body of Christ, not with anxiety and worry making us unfruitful, but delivered from those things, <clears throat> standing fruitful in every aspect of the Word of God, we'll see wonderful, amazing, enjoyable things. It's going to be awesome. And I believe it with all of my heart. So I want to pray for you there where you stand and we'll dismiss. I want to trust and believe God for something great. Just like we do with the kids, I invite you, if you want to lift your hands as to receive or surrender, you're welcome to. You can posture yourself any way you like. You don't have to do anything, but you're welcome to. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you teach us and that you lead us and that you guide us. Every bad habit that we have as it concerns worry and doubt and anxiety, let those things be revealed and uncovered 
Not as a source of, of shame that we've failed, but as a, a wonderful celebration that you're here to meet us and grow us and mature us in your word and in your ways. And let us be surrendered to change. We open our hearts to you and we open our minds to you that by your spirit a wonderful work would be done. That our hearts would trust and believe that you care for us. That no matter what is being uh, said or spoken or revealed in this world, we could stand firm upon the truth that you love us, you've chosen us, you will not reject us, and that you will care for us. And let that truth lay the foundation for all of our thoughts and actions to stand upon. That fear, that worry, that doubt would have no place to make us unfruitful but that your word would prevail in every matter and that fruitfulness would lead to celebration and thanksgiving, the glorification of your name. We bless your name and thank you. Let new habits be formed in how we speak. Let new habits be formed in how we respond. Let us turn to you and cry out. Let us see the things that are worthy of praise and focus on those things that we would not be distracted by the things that are fruitless. We bless your name and praise you, and we desire for this word to have an impact on our lives that would mark us forever changed, forever matured, forever grown up in your kingdom to be fruitful, bringing you honor and glory. We bless your name, and we give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at chamschurch.com.